This episode brought to you by the Romanian Pharmacy of Value. Stop paying an arm and a leg for name brand medications with all kinds of potential unwanted side effects. The Romanian Pharmacy of Value recognizes one man's unwanted side effect is another man's cure. The FDA is very stringent with what they approve, and a lot of times, they are the only thing standing in the way of your relief. Well, guess who doesn't have a say in what goes on in Romania? Our value technicians will help put you in touch with the pills you need. And we don't stop with one pill. Our technicians know that sometimes the path to relief has zigs and zags. Lucky for you, they know how to get the job done. Just listen to this happy customer. My name's Randall Shatner out of Omaha, Nebraska. And I had severe to moderate eczema. So I called up the Romanian Pharmacy of Value. And they recommended that I take this sleep aid with a side effect that got rid of my eczema. It was called Zolcam D. And it worked. It worked great. But it gave me night terrors. I wasn't worried. They recommended another pill. It was actually a trial for it was actually a trial medication for brain cancer. But that gave me an overactive bladder. And I wasn't worried about that either. All I did was consult the Romanian Pharmacy of Values on-staff value technician, and they gave me a cat-feline sedative that put not me to sleep, but my urinary sphincter. And now, you can bet, I'm going all-in for full speedo this summer. Thanks, Romanian Pharmacy of Value. So if you have medical needs you need taken care of on a budget and you have an adventurous spirit, please won't you make to call the Romanian Pharmacy of Value. A Popco brand. Welcome to another episode of Road Soda. Crack another Road Soda, Greg. How you doing? Episode 59, by the way. Episode 59, After Dark, recording in the wee hours, which is very rare for us. Yeah, we are, you never know, it never, you'd never know when we're recording, it doesn't matter to you. So Greg, what, do you, what does 59 mean to you? 59, this is episode 59, so first off, we gotta give props to Grant for... Sending us 59 cents in response to our only half-joking Grant comments about how we have lucky numbers and we are psychic. Unfortunately, uh, you only sent us 59 cents and not $59, so we were not able to send you those winning lotto numbers. We, they would have come in handy, too, for the big jackpot that just rolled over. Yeah, lucky for you. a billion plus. You got another chance. <laughs> also, uh, also... The number 59 is has a few other connotations. There is a Interstate 59 that connects New Orleans, Louisiana to Chattanooga. So if you're ever traveling up to Chattanooga, take 59. It's probably very scenic. Probably very scenic. Yeah. If you like racism. Uh, also, uh, Satchel Paige, very famous baseball player from the Negro Leagues way back. And he also played... Whoa, whoa, Greg. It's a technical term. He played baseball at the age of 59, which is pretty amazing when you think about it. That is. 59 years old, playing pro baseball. 
uh, one day on Mercury. I'm going to give you. At the age of 59? At the age of 59. And he was number 59? No. Oh. That would be two. That's when they murdered him. What is the number? <laughs> I'm going to. Here's a trivia question for you. One day on Mercury lasts how many days on Earth? 56. Close. 57. 59. What? Bam. Shut up. 5-9 <laughs> is a code, if you believe Urban Dictionary. 5-9 is a code for codeine, although maybe it almost kind of sounds like are you holding? You got that 5-9? What is know. this, if you believe business? Urban Dictionary, as I just said moments ago, I feel like is Wikipedia for illiterate morons. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What are you talking about? That doesn't make any sense. Illiterate morons, they are the cutting edge of linguistics every once in a while you hear a term like cleveland steamer and you, you look that up right that's one out of a hundred you you can put anything in there and you're going to find the illiterate idiots that's not it's typing very, it's, into the computer it's the opposite it's the opposite it's 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 literate <laughs> geniuses literate geniuses <laughs> and then i got one more 59 connotation i got jersey numbers 59 is another linebacker number, and I got another killer linebacker from the Pittsburgh Steel Curtain. Last time we did 58 Jack Lambert. This time, 59, we got Jack Ham, another killer Hall of Fame Steeler linebacker from yesteryear. And another 59, Seth Joyner, another linebacker. This guy played for the Eagles in the 80s. Both of those, by the way, were really good defenses. That's why I brought both of them up, because... The Eagles in the 80s had Reggie White and Seth Joyner and Jerome Brown and Eric Allen. They were really good. Mm. The 70s Steelers were like, you know, a standard that probably won't be matched again because they've made rules now so that people don't get crippled. Yes. And I think that's the spice that's missing because when you had the 70s Steelers really wanted to cripple guys, you know, and it made it fun to watch. Now but, it's just a bunch of guys in pajamas. With well, they're, they're millionaires. And, it's like they're like you can't tackle the quarterback. We're paying him a hundred million dollars over nine years. Take it easy on him. Yeah, yeah. And you see these ridiculous things. I sent you a thing earlier this week. It was showing. Uh, no, I sent it to Devin. I sent you the Jerry Seinfeld commercial. Mm-hmm. I was watching uh, on YouTube because I'm I'm so busy. An entire one hour episode of ESPN Primetime, which is the show that goes over all the football highlights. From what year? From 1997. <laughs> And they showed in a highlight a vicious hit that was taken on this guy, Stan Humphreys. He was the quarterback for the Chargers. They showed a couple of times he was tackled. One time it was, you know, pretty good sack. The next one, the guy came flying around him, launched himself up into the air. So Stan Humphreys, here's his head right here. This guy launched himself and took his entire body weight hit Stan Humphreys, like, above the nipples, we'll say. Above and the And took nips. him to the dirt in such a violent fashion. I was like, how the fuck did he even get up and, like, live the rest of his life? And they showed the replay, and I was like, man, and there was no penalty or anything. Why would it be? Why would it be? Nowadays... He's got a job to do. Nowadays, there's so many things that they call a penalty. Look, it's good. I don't want these guys to get killed and hurt and all that stuff, but I saw that hit, and I was like, Jesus Christ, they just don't do it like that anymore. Launching their bodies to... They just don't name. do it like that anymore, man. Well, it, we we do have... That's it for the 59s. I'm that's sorry. it for the 59. Well, your dreams came true, Greg. How so? Elon Musk bought Fortnite and deleted it. I wish. I wish that son of a bitch would do that. But it's, that's all he does now. He lies. He puts out false statements 
to the media. He said he's going to buy back his company. Did you hear that? He got in trouble for that. Oh, really? He's not. He can't be the on the board of his company. He's, he had to step down as a CFO. Yeah, but they said that it was just a probationary thing and that he would come back. Yeah, but he had to step down and he has to be out of the board for like years. Yeah, for not it wasn't even a, like a full year that I saw it. He he had to step out because of statements that he made about he making was, it about making it private. He was going to buy all the stock back. Yeah, and which make, he's, he, he's like, the price. And I'm gonna, he's like, I'm going to buy it back and I'm going to make it private because I'm sick of dealing with shareholders. Yeah, I'm sick of dealing with these meetings, and all that, and they went. That's all well and good that you made maybe what you thought was a sarcastic statement, but you never had the $17 billion you know, available like, to do it. Every single uh, company he's ever been a part of, they've fired him as CEO. The companies that he's built from the ground up. He, what, what is it? He had PayPal? Well, but even before that. Even, so, so, so the first thing that he, like he came over to the United States with his brother and they went to like college and shit and for engineering and stuff, but they started these... Like I think it was like one of the first companies they started was a company just to put businesses on a map online so you can go online and find these businesses that are like on this map and um, he was so so they they just lit, worked in some like little tiny shit splat office and they had like one guy it was like two of them coding everything you're saying he worked at GeoCities yes and they had two, they had two uh, he had one guy that was just going out on the streets trying to get businesses to like buy into this and be a part of this this directory this online directory and um, I think even they ended up selling that to like a bigger company at PayPal he got fired as CEO he built you know obviously his, his original idea for PayPal was to be the he wanted to like get rid of all the banks, make all the money online, and like say no more to banks. It's just all online now. And uh, there's also a lot of there's a theory that people think he was the original, the creator of Bitcoin. That he, because nobody knows who made Bitcoin. No, I think they know. Nobody knows. Yeah, I think they look know. it up. Move, use Google. No, they, I have looked into that. They know who started Bitcoin. Like oh, a guy yeah. wrote a yeah the guy the first guy wrote like a white paper. He was like basically the grandfather of. Bitcoin. Nobody knows who created Bitcoin. Yeah, they do. It's you not a Google Google thing. You don't know. I will, I will, You're making yeah, that Google clear. Right. Nobody knows. Myself, who, and I'm sure Jeff Bitcoin. and Nelly are probably also saying, Isaiah, who you're a clown. We know who started Bitcoin. Bitcoin. Uh, let's just do this yeah, right there's now. There's like I, a guy that's like a, a known guy. That's not the type of thing that like gets open source, dude. Someone has to start with a pretty solid idea. Bitcoin is a new currency that was created in 2009 by an unknown person using the alias Satoshi Nakamoto. But they know who that is. It was an alias, dude. No, they know who Sakuts, whoever that was, is. I, I've seen things on that. They do know who that was. They do know who that is. Fake news. <laughs> Fuck Bitcoin anyway. It's going in the toilet. Most not. No, I wouldn't get rid of my paper money anytime soon. Especially that USD, baby. Dude, Satoshi Nakamoto is the name used by the unknown person or people who developed Bitcoin. Authored the Bitcoin white paper and created Deployment Bitcoin's original reference implementation. As part of the implementation... Yeah, they still don't know. They, they know. just have a name. I'm telling anyway. you. I'm a millennial and I read it on Wikipedia, so that's all there is to it. Yeah, I'm going to go find the website. Short of that, I also saw a history channel, 12-minute thing on it, so I think I know what I'm talking about. Like, And how did you find your information out? I listened CNN. to a... CNN? No, I listened to... A, it wasn't like a super <laughs> what reputable thing. What did you thing. listen to? It was... Um, 
God damn it. No, it wasn't CNN. It was a podcast that was about Bitcoin. Well, we all know how reputable a podcast can be. I don't remember what podcast <laughs> it was. It might have been either Marketplace or... Let me tell you. Well, let me tell you this. Pod... Uh, I don't think they know. Anyway, so uh, did you see this guy? Made off with five cases of Bud Light and a textbook beer theft. It shows a picture of him running out arms full of cases and personally I would have gone for the Natty Light robbery would have been a little less time in the old clink but I am definitely deeming this guy Road Soda MVP of the week I'll tell you that <laughs> five cases of Bud Light that's not an easy feat you gotta have a little bit of muscle he had very it's long 150 arms 150 beers <laughs> it's got very long arms wait and... there were. you think there were cases or 30 packs look at the picture bro is that a 30 pack got five cases of beer I'm just, I, I know it's splitting here. So five <laughs> cases is 120 beers. That's a lot to carry at once. I like the way he's got it in his arms. Where it's cut off so he can get as much grip. He just as wants he can. contact with those beers before they throw them in the back of a squad car. Mm-hmm. That's 90 pounds. You think? Yeah. You uh, did that calculation pretty quick. Very, uh, well, you know, I mean, I like to carry five cases at a time. No. <laughs> That's awkward to hold 90 pounds, too. Like, any of them could slip. you really going to be squeezing yeah. it. So how we did it, folks, if you can imagine, like, a stack of books, and then you just hug them, the whole stack to your body, and it's just your fingertips are... And I guess you're just kind of, like, squeezing in... I don't know how we When did you're it. trying to yell, everyone stay down, that probably takes a lot, you know? To, Was he yelling? Well, Everybody, don't... Don't fuck with me. <laughs> I guess it was a late night seven eleven. Just the one guy. You just the one guy. Get down. Stay down. You think it's how you would have done it? He probably had to like take him out. Or if you're stealing five cases of Bud Light, you're probably not saying anything. It's not like a big announcement. You just running your ass out of there with the five cases. Man, why'd you do that? It was a goof. It's a goof. <laughs> what do you got? What's going on with the news? Uh, yeah. What do I got for news stories? You, hold on, you were just running through them with me. I got um. Uh, Juice World was uh, he's a he's a guy who started on Spotify. His first music was like uploaded onto Spotify, but now he's got quite a lot of a good following. And uh, he stole a song. His song is called "What the Hell Is That?" Uh, Lucid Dreams is basically stealing the Sting song. Shape of My Heart, which was a big hit for Sting like 15 years ago or something. And he basically, he took Sting's Shape of My Heart, put this bass beat on the actual song, and then did his own lyrics about his girlfriend's unstable or whatever. Or at least they're broken up now and he misses her. And Sting came out and gave it a vote of, yes, I like the song. And his quote was, the royalties for that song are going to pay for my grandson to go to college and I like this song too so kudos to Juice World. so there you go I don't know is that news that's news yeah that's news man especially for Juice World. that's news that's news for Juice or Sting World. or Sting Sting's liking it police uh, in, are investigating a video that allegedly shows a teacher duct taping a student to a chair if this sounds familiar it's because not even a few years ago a teacher was duct taping a student to a desk and got in trouble. It's like these people don't watch the news, man. Don't they know? 
they and I think when they ducted the kid to the desk there she had like kids help him you know as a goof that's right <laughs> wait how about this this isn't exactly news but I follow Stephen Colbert on Twitter and when Sears closed down wait he is just Stephen Colbert right yeah Stephen Colbert what happened with Sears shut down Please well, let us know. Well, Sears, you know, I mean, they're huge, right? They used to be the place that you not went anymore. to. Not anymore. If you wanted a washing machine or a wrench. Here was his, here was his tweet <laughs> from five days ago, the day they announced they were going bankrupt. You know they went bankrupt and they're shutting down like a ton of stores. Well, if they all of them if they went bankrupt, right? No. And you, some of them are private. But like bankruptcy for companies, they just kind of reorg and they kind of shaft a bunch of people out of their money and then just reopen with so small. So the banks just... Then buy Sears and then, um, they, then they own Sears? No, I think like a judge just tells them they don't have to pay certain things or they can kind of pay like pennies on the dollar for certain things. That type of bullshit. You know, you you typically don't have to close every store when you go bankrupt. And I didn't right. know how many they would close, but they're closing a lot. But here's his quote, which I like. I'm going to miss Sears, especially on those days when you just want to buy a suit, a carpet, an air conditioner, a lawnmower, a foundation garment. I don't know what the fuck that is. An air hockey table and a tractor. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why that that was hilarious to me. I feel Sears was one of those places like they don't even do stores like that anymore. I guess no. Amazon is the new yeah, Sears. Yeah, Sears was, it was strange in that way. You'd just be walking through and they had like big lawnmower tractors in the middle and then you went over to the washing machine section. You go into Sears and you're like, can you just direct me to where the... I'm standing in a bunch of like lawn garden stuff. I'm going to buy some husky jeans. Right. Am I going to the north, to the west, to the you know? And they can, Did you see the map? Then they have an escalator sometimes in those stores, and you go upstairs, and they have like a fucking, you know, those big department stores are just going to the wayside because Amazon does all that shit. Mm-hmm. They give the illusion that you can buy all that shit. They don't have any of that stuff on hand. It's what? all in China or like they're having you sell it to me on their website, and it makes it look like they have all this stuff in inventory. Amazon, bastards, sons of bitches. It'll catch up to you, Amazon. It'll catch up to you. They went up over, their valuation went up over a trillion dollars, but they're not over a trillion dollars anymore. But you know who is over a trillion dollars? 58.com. These guys. 58.com is probably up there. Apple is the world's only trillion dollar company right now. Trillion. Yeah. And and Amazon was there, but when their stock price changed, they... Dip just below. Dip just below. Trillion. Apple is the only trillion dollar company, yet the CEO drives a Toyota Camry. The CEO of Apple? Drives a Toyota Camry. Where do you get that from? I just made it up. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Isn't that... That's a funny thing. I could have probably made you believe it. I don't even know who the CEO of Apple is now at this point, either. I don't. I think it's uh, Steve Gutenberg. No. It should be. Gene Shalit. Dead. No, he's not. Gene Shalit is dead. Gene Shalit can never die because he never lived. He is as dead <laughs> as the thing we were arguing about earlier. Amy Schumer? Amy. <laughs> <laughs> I zinged him. All right, so... I would like to hear, by the way, if any of the listeners out there are Amy Schumer fans. I am They're not because the they've already weighed in on it. And you know who it was? Oh. Nelly. I am of the opinion that she is just a victim of her own success. She was overexposed. 
She's and she a got victim Dane, of her own unhumor. She got Dane Cook syndrome, and she went from being hilarious to the point where they overexposed her. No. To now overexpose, <laughs> and people forget yesterday that they enjoyed her. She suffered. And they from, just jump on the anti bandwagon. She suffered from joke stealing itis, <laughs> and unny unfunny boned. She the funniest thing that's ever been in her was Dane Cook's dong. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> Oh right! Oh wait, the funny—I—I I, I should have said said that different. The funniest thing that was in her, no, the funniest thing that's ever come out of her mouth was Dan Cook's dong. But maybe Man. that's all alleged. <laughs> <laughs> she uh, is not funny. Anyway, so on to our next. I love Amy, and I don't, and I think that's gonna be our—that's uh, our shtick forever, forever now. So we had some listener mail. This is interesting. So uh, at the, the top of the show, we did mention how our, one of our favorite listeners, we have a VIP list of listeners. Of course, Jeff and Nelly will always, they hold, they are, they are the, the uh, chair people of our VIP list. And then of course, Grant has, has now jumped onto the VIP list as well as uh, your friend. My friend, George. George. George, the over-the-road truck driver, sent us an email about wanting to be a sponsor. And it was funny, and I definitely think we will hear from him, and we would like to hear more from George about it. And uh, we do want to mention that he specifically said he is the CEO of Pick and Flick Industries. Mm -hmm. And uh, thanks for the shout-out, George, and we will look to hear from you soon. Thanks. Yeah, thanks, George. I think it is... uh, I think all of our... I think our VIP listeners are just all of our listeners. <laughs> uh, yeah. So um, thank you guys for listening. So this is an interesting one. So this wasn't necessarily some listener mail, but... Uh, unsolicited mail. Unsolicited. Favorite kind. It is, it is mail nonetheless, but I think it'll be very fun for the show. So back when we did the Maria Duval segments, that was two-part two uh, on the last couple episodes, we... I mentioned to Greg how it would be fun if we just made like some um, stupid, how if we just made like a dummy email address and then try to reach out to as many places as we can to try to get scam mail, like see what would happen and then just chase it to see what would happen with it. Well, we didn't make any, uh, we didn't make any dummy email. I just happened to get on my own personal email account. I looked into my junk mail. And I saw this gem. This comes from somebody named Frank Robert. Ready? Let me allow me to read the email. My dearest friend, I hope you still remember me. This is to thank you for your past effort and kind assistance. The money sum of 120 million US dollars belonging to my late parents has been transferred into an account provided by a newly found business partner of mine from Sweden. I wish to compensate you for your past assistance, effort, and commitments that time to help me out. I have deposited US $20,500 with Access Bank PIC in the Federal Republic of Nigeria. I... I'm in Switzerland right now (laughs) to establish some business and possibly buy some properties also. 
So I want you to contact my pastor who is currently on a mission in Nigeria, Reverend Adams Aiken. On his information uh, on his information below because he will be the one that will assist you assist you to have the fund transferred to your bank account or help you to receive the funds as ATM card or bank draft contact person and then it shows his email address it shows the email address of uh, Reverend Adam Akins and it says it has Adam Akins phone number here says, I left every instruction with him to assist you and have the bank wire the fund to you as soon as you contact him. So make sure you in, you can you reconfirm your full name, your home address, your cell phone number. The above info will enable him to recognize you. With all my appreciation, Robert Frank. So off the, off the bat, it's like he's trying to trick you into remembering some meeting that you had but then it gets so specific and ridiculous how would you forget running into this guy robert frank that you helped robert frank well here's the thing it's it's so the i think i think their angle is leading it up to saying he's reaching out to you but and you helped him and you maybe know like oh maybe i didn't help this guy but he thinks I did. Maybe he's got the wrong person, but that's a lot of money, so I'm going to let him think I did help him. I guess that's the angle, yeah. That I think that's the angle. So here, here's what we have so far. We Here are the players in, in this. Uh, so also, I think it would be very fun for us to write back to. Absolutely. All right, yeah, so we should solicit let's, this. Let's do this. Let's let's definitely go down with this. And we're going to do it through our roadsodamail at gmail.com. Also, if should you... we tell him we're in Switzerland and looking to spend some time with him? We do remember we, our past. We should. We should too. So here's what I think we should do. So before we uh, start answering this, which I think I'm very excited to do this, uh, let's say... No one is more excited to get respond to spam, by the way, than Isaiah is right now. I know. I'm very excited. I'm very excited. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm excited to see what's going to come back because I know that they're going to respond back to us. Um, so first, let's, let's just look at the players. We have Robert Frank and Reverend... Pastor Adam Reverend Aiken. Adam Aiken, yes. And uh, we have his phone numbers now. He's a pastor, though, so he probably has to be trustworthy. He's a reverend. He's a reverend. Now it sounds like he might be touching kids. So it could be Pastors, know. I feel comfortable like leaving my kids with them. Reverends? Mm. But a father? Definitely not. All right. So then, uh, but here, and here are the countries involved. Ready? He, uh, let's see, his business partner is in Sweden. Let's ask him who his business partner is. His business partner is in Sweden, all right? And uh, let's see. He needs to access... He's got his money in the Republic of Nigeria. And he himself is currently in Switzerland. In Switzerland. Uh, so that's all the things. Oh, yeah. It says, my contact, my pastor. Yeah, my pastor, reverend. I guess that's the same thing, right? Pastor, reverend. Yeah, that makes sense. So Maybe I, he was trying to cover both bases with that, too. I don't know. Some people like pastors. Some people like reverends. I'll do both. Yeah, yeah. Dude, I really, I'm really excited. We should totally... Uh, yeah. Okay, so we have wrote and concocted a an email response to Mr. Frank. And uh, do you want to read it? We'll read it, yes. Yeah. Dear Mr. Frank and Pastor Aiken... 
So sorry to hear about your parents. How did they die? I'm having trouble remembering exactly when we met, but I am guessing it was at the Sweden-Nigerian swap meet in Switzerland last fall. I am in Lucerne, Switzerland right now and would love to take a moment to catch up. Where can we meet? Also, is the Swedish business partner you mentioned, Jeffrey Kalvitz, that we had coffee with at the day of the swap meet? If I remember correctly, he was very excited about buying Swiss real estate and it sounds like you are working closely with Jeffrey. Perhaps we can all meet. Let me know when is a good time. I'm looking forward to it, Robert. Lastly, I would love to facilitate the transfer of this money. I will give you all my phone number and address when we meet for coffee. Cheers. And send. So we're going to, we just sent that out from the Road Soda Gmail account. And uh, we'll see if we respond. What we did was we responded just to the, uh, uh, just to his one account and then the other one for to the one that sent it we responded to the one that sent it and because he did give an email for a reverend down at the bottom and if we don't get anything we'll just respond to the reverend and we'll uh, we'll see what we get I think it's gonna be fun and if you guys have uh, <laughs> any any spam of this sort or uh, anything that you guys uh, we always are trying to get people to reach out to us via our email because it's gonna it's a fun way to communicate uh, anything you send us to, through email, pictures, videos, um, or comments, things that are going on, questions you might have, please send them to roadsodamail at gmail.com. Please, roadsodamail at gmail.com. Uh, so, as a football fan, I read a lot of NFL player bios and autobiographies and you know, I'm just a guy that likes to kind of relive the games and hear like the behind the scenes stuff of what was happening. You only see what actually happens on the field during the game. Sometimes it's nice to hear what was going through their head, what was happening. You know, like I like certain guys, I like certain things, and the I find the biographies are just really cool for me because they're talking shit or talking up guys in a different level in a different way. So yeah, you get that behind the scene feel for something you're already enthused about yeah like it just brings in like that extra layer that you're just never going to get you can watch every game in the world but you're not going to get what the guy's personal life was you can read the wikipedia and see that this happened on this date and that, but when you hear it from the guy whether it's a biographer or it's not in this case i went to brant's last weekend our excellent used bookstore in sarasota scored a nice used copy of steve young qb my life behind the spiral I thought it was a pretty a good, good book. Name. Do you think he came up with that name? Uh, yeah, I, I think. Even with a ghostwriter, you probably come up with your own title, I would imagine. My Life Behind the Spiral. 1450 I paid a little more than I wanted to, but it was a decent book, and it's only from 2016. So anyway, um, a real quick synopsis. Steve Young is a... He was a super quarterback for Brigham Young University. He's a Mormon, like a hardcore Mormon, and he is the great great-grandson of Brigham Young himself. Um, Then he was a top draft pick out of Brigham Young in Donald Trump's USFL Football League. Or that thing that ran for like a year? He ran for 84, 85, 86. Folded in 86. So I I think there were only two actual seasons. He was drafted into the NFL by the, the... Bengals, I think, wasted their pick because he said, screw you, I'm going to the USFL. 
he became the it was the biggest contract ever. He signed a deal for forty million dollars in the eighties, but that's misleading because it was like a bunch of annuities and he was going to get paid over like forty something years. Wow. He ended up still making millions. Um, and then uh, then he was drafted by the once the league folded after two years. He gets drafted by the Buccaneers. Then they traded him pretty quickly to the 49ers in 1987. Joe Montana was like, you know who Tom Brady is. Mm-hmm. Joe Montana was the Tom Brady of the 80s. And they won four Super Bowls with Joe Montana. Two of them before Steve Young got there. Two of them is Steve Young with the backup to Joe Montana getting more and more pissed. that He's, you know, I'm really good. I want to play. I'm sick of riding the pine behind Joe Montana. Then Montana gets old, frail. He misses a year. They trade him. Steve Young comes in, and it takes him a few more years, but then he wins the Super Bowl. He was good. He was a really good quarterback, and uh, that's the basic synopsis of it. Um, but for me, the main thing that really struck me was that this guy is so hardcore Mormon. And here's the thing. As a devout Mormon, he definitely had this faith to lean on when things got troubling for him, which a lot of people don't have. He didn't do a lot of the shitty things that people do when they just try and get by. Like, no drinking... No drugs, very good to his body, you know, eats very healthily. Uh, he's just a good guy. Like, his faith constantly is trying to get him to reinvigorate his passion for other people. And, you know, he's just always been that guy that's helping people out. But then, my main problem with the Mormon thing is that I just wish people could be, this story could happen without him having to have some bullshit book behind it you know because Mormonism um, you know for those that don't know anything about Mormonism I mean I'm sure you know something about it but the Mormonism is only about 150 years old it was founded by a guy named Joseph Smith it's total snake oil bullshit he actually wrote the book and then brought a bunch of people with him out west or maybe Brigham Young brought him out west I don't know all the fucking exact details but I mean, come on. This this thing is so brand new. There's nothing substantive about it. I don't know how there's so many people that are into this. Three million Mormons in 1971. 16 million in 2018. So it's not huge now, but 22 out of every 10,000 people in the world is a Mormon. And it's growing. They've got the Latter-day Saints Church, which is like a big division. The, th- the Here's the thing. The things I've heard about the Mormon community is that if someone's house in the Mormon community burns down... They're right on top of it. The community comes and takes care of everything, helps you build your house back up. These are all good things, yeah. you know. A lot of the things that Steve Young did in his life, he credits to Mormonism, and I would say, well, that's great, but I just don't understand again why it has to be, why these stories have to have these religious. What I mean, I, I don't blame him for it. He was mm-hmm. just born into a Mormon house, and he's just doing his thing. Right. It just disappoints me that in 2018 in America... You want the same story. You want somebody with the same track record and the same morale and the same drive, but without the Church of Latter-day Saints. Yeah, I just don't... Or any church. I just don't that. like that the whole thing is beholden to some story that's just so fantastical and ridiculous. I mean, if it gives someone a purpose and faith in life... I'm not that that's a good thing I guess it's just sad for me that it has to be like that even now in modern fucking society people so many people still subscribe to these fucking things so and this guy's way into it by the way I liked him when I was a kid I remember thinking Steve Young's really good and I'm a Saints fan the Niners and the Saints were in the same division 
Joe Montana was like, he owned the Saints. They, they never fucking had a chance against Joe Montana. And he won all these Super Bowls. Then he gets, goes and Steve Young comes in behind him. He was just as good. He was just as good. Some of the things that the Niners had when Joe Montana was there were gone when Steve Young came in. So it wasn't like as perfect. But he was really, really good. But then I think about like some of the things. Uh, he, he had a, an experience where a girl, a friend of his family asked him to drive back the, uh, the he's from the northeast he lived in he grew up in um, Connecticut and this family asked him to drive his young their young daughter she was like 19 back from Utah with him he was like I, I was going to fly but alright I'll do this as a favor and they're driving and swapping the driving out and at some point she is driving and she falls asleep there's another person in the car too she falls asleep and like loses control of the car and they go off the road flip the thing a bunch of times she ends up dying Jesus. this 19 year old girl Jesus. he walks away unscratched and he's like I feel like I had this magic force field around me or whatever and I'm like okay I mean shit ha- I don't know maybe he had just seen the movie Unbreakable not possible because this is way before that <laughs> but the movie was based off of Steve <laughs> Young he just felt you know whatever he had this rock solid faith but she did die and that did shake him and he felt really bad because of course you would. You know, like, I could have been driving and you'd second-guess yourself and all that. Um, then, when he signed, so his Mormonism kind of affected him in a positive way, I would say, from that. But then, when he gets signed to the USFL team that he got signed to, I forget which one it was, the LA Express, mm-hmm. he gets two checks. His his guy, you know, his agent works up a big contract for him. He gets two checks, one for a million dollars and one for a million and a half dollars. Like the signing bonus in his first year, whatever it was. And he's, he doesn't want to accept the money. He's like having such a hard time because he's a Mormon and this is not right for him. He goes to like a Mormon leader and says, here, I want you to take these. I don't even want anything to do with this. I'll play, but I don't want the money. And even that guy was like, dude, you're being a fucking whack job. Okay. Even this like elder in the Mormon community was like, take, take a fucking pill, dude. Put the money in the bank. Keep the money. I think he said something to him like, maybe the money is the demon that you are on this earth to overcome and I would be shafting you out of your chance to fight this demon or whatever fucking bullshit. But he gave him the money back. Saying something about the the guy he went to. Saying a lot about the guy. Something about the guy he went to. Because I think 99.999999% of all churches, of all church leaders would go, thank you, my son. You have made a good decision. Right. Corvettes and Mercedes. <laughs> We're putting a case around that drummer. You ever seen one of those things? Church down the street's got one. So that's those are two things that early on um, made me think this guy's a little. The the religion thing is helping him in some ways, but it's also hindering him in some serious ways. And here's another one. This was just a bit much for me. Mormons typically end up marrying young, and then having a bunch of kids. That's like a kind of a tenet of their thing. But he was so into his sports and he said that foosball. He, he had his anxiety disorder that also kind of kept him from me, you know, getting too serious with any girl. But now he's 37 and he says, not long after the Falcons game, I'm going to read just a couple paragraphs. This will tell you who the fuck does this. Not long after the Falcons game, I called my close friend Tide Tanner and told him about the blessing I had received from elder Scott. 
It wasn't the th- sort of thing I shared lightly, but I trusted Tide. We were close, and we often talked about spiritual things. So after telling him about my meeting with an apostle, I said that I had gotten a strange impression. A strong impression. This is going to sound a little strange, I told Tide, but you're supposed to help me find my wife. And not in like some ironic sense, in like, what the fuck kind of sense. Tide and I joked around about a lot of things. I'm sure it was fucking hilarious. A couple of Mormons cramming it up. But he knew instantly that I wasn't joking about this. I was looking for some guidance from him. Some inspiration that would help me find my soulmate. He asked if I could have the night to pray about it. He asked if he could have the night to pray about it. The next morning he called me back and said he'd been up most of the night and he'd spent a lot of that time on his knees before finally nodding off. When he awoke, he said he had an unmistakable impression that he knew who I was supposed to marry. What? Who? Her name is Barbara Graham. She's a model from Scottsdale. She goes by Barb. I mean, what the fuck, dude? By the way, he married that lady. And he's still married to that lady. He's like an analyst on ESPN now. When you watch Monday Night Football, he's one of the three talking heads. He married this fucking broad because his buddy had a fucking vision or whatever. That doesn't seem like a value, valuable way to make life decisions. So again, I, I enjoy that I kept him away from drugs and drinking and he doesn't swear and he's a penitent guy and all this other shit. But when your religion can allow this type of shit to happen, whatever. You know what I mean? If he was approaching it like, I don't know, it was all kind of random. I felt it was time to settle down. I just picked the first one, whatever. Then okay, but no, my friend had a fucking dream and he prayed about it all night, and then he comes back with this fucking... Yeah, how did he come up with the name Barbara? Like, was it given to him? Or no, did he Google a, it all night? There was a story, like, ten years ago, he tried to introduce him to her and all that type of stuff. But but I don't know. I mean, does that make sense? Like, say we joined some group, and then I tell you I had a dream, and this is who you're supposed to marry, and then you take that serious and go marry the person, and I, I don't know how she got roped in. I, I, he is Steve Young, like multi-million dollar athlete, so he probably can't just pick whoever he wants. But that's the way he picked. So like, fuck off. That's so... Maybe... That's so... This Mormon religion um, is, uh, you know... It, this th- Maybe that one's the real deal. Maybe that's the real deal. <laughs> Did you ever see the... Uh, South- that, was, that was my takeaway from it, is that he was a good guy, and... He credited his faith with a lot of things. And I'm sure his faith did help him in a lot of ways. But also, it's so detrimental. Because Do you think she was born into a different family? Like the same dude that just... The family wasn't Mormon. Just the family wasn't Mormon. Do you think he would have achieved all the same things in his life? And he would have accredited it to something else? Or do you think it really was... It's always so hard to say. Because you take one ingredient out, you don't know what the butterfly effect is going to be of everything else. He seemed like he was a pretty goddamn driven guy. I mean, only the top of the yeah. top get to the pros. What if What if Elon Musk was like, I think the Mormon, the Church of the Latter-day Saints for all of my... Like, would that be the final... <laughs> what, to get me involved in Mormonism? If yeah, Elon like, Musk what, would... what more does the Mormon religion have to do to get you to just I'd actually, put, put some knees on the floor? I'd actually heard that when the... Joseph Smith, who was like the founder of this, was murdered. He was murdered by townspeople because they were they were fearful that just him being in the town, doing being you know loud and boisterous about his religion, was going to get them a bad rep. So they found ways to discredit him, and then a mob came in, and they were going to kill him. But prior to that, 
prior to actually being murdered, his two best friends both were like, you know, super tight into the church. Obviously, everyone that dealt with him was like a severe Mormon. Both of them, not just one of them, both of them accused him of trying to marry their wives. Like against their will, against his, against the whole thing. So that just shows you... You don't get it though. It's, just, he's not even like up to the caliber of like an L. Ron Hubbard. But it was like a vision. But it was a vision. Like I told Did you, you ever see fucker. The... I mean, I, I, I know what I'm talking about. Okay, God told me. God told I, me I'm going to marry, marry your wife. wife. So, in the ass <laughs> as a goof <laughs> so did you uh, <laughs> did you ever see the South Park episode about Mormonism I do not think I have that was a good one it was definitely a good one what was the what was the gist of the uh, they were just it was another one it was just like the one that they did with uh, Church of Scientology where they kind of just showed you basically exactly what they believed in but they showed it South Park style and um like I know, did you ever hear about how that when they did the episode on the Church of Scientology, it made uh, Isaac Hayes, who was a Scientologist, was quit like, the voice of Chef. Yes. He told him they, he said, "If you make that episode, I'm going to quit this show." And they're like, "All right, here's a box for the shit on your desk." Like <laughs> you fucking Isaac Hayes. It was funny, but like we don't give a fuck. We don't care. The Wait, show, so did yeah. he do any voices in the app? Like maybe uh, not, he didn't know. No, no, no they, he quit before the app even came out, and they killed him off by sampling voice by sampling his voice from past episodes and <laughs> and putting him and making him a robot and then they killed him off in like an episode i did hear that whole story yeah. and but and then one for the mormon they show him and they show like john smith and he's like looking into a top hat at the the tablets and he's like oh oh i got i got the vision oh it's like this whole fucking it's it's great dude wait grant well in in my my age type people uh, listeners will remember this. When I was a kid, the Latter Day Saints put out all these ads. Mm-hmm. Have you seen any of these ads? I think I remember seeing some ads. This one it. particular one. What that if, I, what that if I Grant remember. is a Mormon? Grant, are you a Mormon? We need to know. Are you a Mormon? Me. I don't know. I don't if know. so, I, I, I'm sorry that you're a Mormon. I'm sorry. <laughs> and also for some of Isaiah. You got Steve comments. Young on the team, so that's good. The <laughs> kid goes to the grocery store and buys all the ingredients for pizza. Then he goes to this old lady's house, ostensibly like a neighbor, maybe, a shut-in neighbor, presents her with the ingredients, then they go on to have the most fun afternoon ever putting together pizzas, including, this is the iconic moment that everyone would know, he's cutting the pepperoni, and he cuts the pepperoni, and the little slice rolls off, and he like does this little squint grin thing at the pepperoni you know he's having the time of his life and they make a pizza with the shut in neighbor mm-hmm. and then the the tagline was the latter day saints were awesome people and we'll make a we pizza don't need with a you. drink we'll make yeah. a pizza with your fucking shut in grandmother you don't even care about <laughs> or some bullshit you don't <laughs> care about grammy but we I, do. I didn't even get it when i was a kid i was like what in the fuck is happening here the latter day saint is this like a what do I have to pay to go see them at the Civic Center? I didn't know religions did commercials. I what? thought you had to go to their place and they took the money right out of your wallet. I didn't know there was commercials. Oh, they got to have commercials. It's a startup. It's a startup religion. It was a startup we, uh I had a kid. I remember when I was in one of my best friends in middle school when I lived in... I'm sorry, elementary school when I lived in New Mexico. He was, he was a Mormon. And I didn't know what it was. 
But uh, that's pretty much the whole story. He was a Mormon. That's pretty much the whole story. Yeah. There was a show on HBO with Bill Paxton mm-hmm. where he was a... He owned like a, a chain of Home Depots. Like whatever they... You know, a Home Depot smaller thing out in Utah. Mm-hmm. And he had three wives and they all lived in three contiguous houses but separate because the big storyline was they were like, you know, the... What do you call it? Poly... Polygamous? Polygamy. Thank you. Polygamy is not really legal with the LDS people. So the LDS people, freaks to us, are actually the straight and narrow group out in Utah. Because if you're not LDS, you're out in the woods with banging all kinds of women and having, you know, preaching to the mountaintop and all that type of shit. So it was a really fun show. Do you ever watch um, Always Sunny in Philadelphia? Yeah. Um... Not Dennis. Uh, Mac. Mac's mother. Uh-huh. Mac's mother. All right, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she was married to one of these guys that was like one of the elders. He was never coming in to like get with the LDS. And it was right. fucking hilarious. And there was a really big actor that played. What was the show called? It was called Big Love. Big Love. It and was on HBO? It was on HBO. It was great. The three wives were Jennifer Goodwin. She was the young wife. Uh-huh. The old wife was... Ah, my favorite chick from uh, the movie um, Basic Instinct. And I can't think of her name right now. She was like the older one. And then in the middle was Chloe Savini. Mm -hmm. Those were his three wives. The lady from Basic Instinct, not Sharon Stone, but the doctor. Mm -hmm. Chloe Savini and Jennifer Goodwin. And they had three houses that were contiguous and he was like going to like you know he slept with one of them each and, and they were all cool with it and whatever but the neighborhood wouldn't be cool with it and he owned a not a public company but like a big enough company that like if people weren't happy with what he was doing guys were going to lose jobs right. but his right hand man also was in with it with him like not LDS like mm-hmm. out in the woods polygamy and Interesting. I never knew that was a show. It was a cool show. Great cast. It was really cool cast. Cool. You know, I've been recently reading a book as well. It's uh, the good book. The good book. It's the scriptures from the latter. So I remember when we were uh, looking, I was talking about reading books back not too long ago. uh, A couple episodes ago, I said that I was trying to read the... Miyamoto book. Did I say that on the air? You did. I think, yeah, I think I did. So I ended up finally being able to, um, I had also asked people what book I I should read, and Grant said that I should read The Name of the Wind, The King Killer Chronicles, which I think I am absolutely going to read as soon as I, I the thing is, I just got this book in my possession first. And um, I was able to get it on the Kindle, and I'm very happy I'm, I'm reading it. The thing is, when I was, uh, years ago, I started going to Barnes & Noble because I lived really close to it. So I like, lived like walking distance. And I would go there every day and I would just collect like a stack of the same books. And then I would read like a few pages of the book until my mind like wandered. Because you know like sometimes you'll be reading your mind will wander. And i just shut that book and i go to the next one. And I did that almost every day until I f- would finish all the books. And one of the books was – I started off I, – I just – uh, I don't know why I decided to read. I think I just happened to see it, and it was really thin, and it was The Art of War. I was like, yeah, i fucking read that. So I read The Art of War, and then not uh, uh, very shortly after that, I was walking in a different section, and uh, like the sports section, and I happened to see this book called The Book of Five Rings. 
And the Book of Five Rings was, it's very similar to the Art of War. It was written after the Art of War because Sun Tzu lived much longer ago than Miyamoto Musashi who wrote the Book of Five Rings. But I read the Book of Five Rings and it was like the same vein, right? So Sun Tzu... That was in the sports section of the Book of Five Rings? Yeah, because sports section is also the where you'd find any kind of book on martial arts. Uh-huh. And so when... Uh, though it should, and because the thing is, the, the difference between the two is, uh, Sun Tzu's art of war is troops and controlling a, a, an army, whereas Miyamoto Musashi's book is how to conduct yourself, how to your your own personal. But it's not a game. Battle. It's no game. It's, it's no sports. What, what accent is that? I don't, yeah, you know. <laughs> I don't know, you know. So, I read this book. <laughs> my 1am accent on pretty much everything. It is, it is really late. We're trying to get through this. So, it was a very... Uh, it changed my life in a lot of ways. It was it was this really great book that is immediately... As soon as you read it, you immediately understand how it's applicable to just about every scenario in your life. And just being driven and personal. I, I also found out recently that he wrote a number of other books that I want to take a look at. But... So when I started reading this book, it's very, it's really, really good read. Like it's really easy to read. It's fucking mad, wicked thick. But is it about him or is it by him? It's uh, the book Musashi that I'm reading as a novel that was written by. Is this the book you're talking about, or a different book? So the Book of Five Rings is what I read a long time ago. That's right. written by Miyamoto Musashi. The, okay. this, the, he was considered the I'm, I'm going to start explaining who he is now but the book of five rings the book of five is the rings, one that you can apply to everything is it one you can apply to everything the okay. novel that I'm reading now is called Musashi and it is written by a guy named Iiji uh, Yoshikawa and he wrote this book in the 1930s and it was actually it actually was a, a serial book that came out it was a serial thing in a newspaper that came out every day so every day you'd get the newspaper and it was a little section in the newspaper you'd see what's going on in this book it's like over 900 pages long so this thing probably ran for years starting in the 1930s um, but so he this it's really good it's a really good book based on Miyamoto Musashi the book is called Musashi uh, but I just wanted to take this time because if anybody who's ever been friends with me for for long enough I inevitably end up talking about Miyamoto Musashi because he's such a fucking awesome dude and because he he's just a really really incredible person just in general so he was considered the greatest swordsman to ever live in Japan and considering Japan being nothing but a land of swordsmen you know people that are, that's all they fucking do it's like the land of martial arts and shit right uh, he he had fought in over sixty duels and had never lost one. And um, so I think usually the first one you lose is your last one. That's right? the last one. Well, I mean, you might get maimed in such a way that you are not going to live any kind of life. But if if you then look you're at the, the maiming dueler, yeah, then you're the then you just maybe you can use your feet or something. Put it know. in my teeth. I'm going after. I'm him. going after him. Yeah. So he Miyamoto Masashi is at sixty duels that they know of that he won. Uh, and then the next swordsman in Japan under him was like 33 duels. So it just shows you the Pussy. borders. Yeah. Pussy. Exactly. And I think Miyamoto even killed that guy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know for sure. But <laughs> I just... Uh, so um, Miyamoto was born in um, Japan 
in like some province. I think it was like the late 1500s, like 1580s. He was born in, in Japan to a guy who was actually really good at the jute, which was like this. It's kind of like, the jute is kind of like this, uh, you know, the red ninja turtle. And he's got like, it's like a, a Tommy. Yeah. Tommy, Tommy, uh, Dill. You, you know, Ann, Ann's brother actually named the kids Michelangelo and Donatello. What, not Donatello. What's the other one? The other one is Leonardo. Also Leonardo and Michelangelo. Right. The last kid is Emilio. Emilio. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> he's so got. Which one is the? Wh- I don't remember which one the red one is. But, but he had a jute. I believe it was a Jew. It was a so it's like a dagger, but then it's got like these two kind of like hook guard things that. Come oh yeah, up. yeah, yeah. So it's pretty much what a Jew is, but I think there's only like one, and you would uh, you would use it to like if somebody he was always had two of those. Yeah, right? he had two, but the Jew you would use like have that and like a sword maybe. Okay. And so you could like stab somebody with it, but also somebody would swing a sword and you could catch it and like kind of hold their sword out and like cut them. But um, his dad was like this really good That was good like a dude. sawing motion. You were like angrily like... I was a stabbing, poking <laughs> a motion. stabbing, sawing. <laughs> uh, he, his dad was really good. And uh, he battled some guy. He was named by some shogun, which if you know how like the order, order of rankings within Japan, it was like you have like a warlord or you have... Not a warlord. You have like a... Like a not necessarily a king... I can't remember what they were called, but they were basically, it was a, f- a fiefdom in this pl- during this time. And they had like, it was all very heavily relied on like your battle prowess and whatnot. And the shoguns were like the highest ranking, like generals right under who would be the person that owns all the land and is like basically the king of an area. And he was named like best, best under heaven or something in, in because of some duel that he had. But his dad was, uh, he grew up with his dad until he was seven, and his dad taught him everything he knew up until seven, but they were just always getting in fights, and so he kicked him out eventually, and he went and lived with his uncle, who was a, a Buddhist monk, and he lived with this Buddhist monk until, uh, for years, and one day, when he was 13, this guy came to town, uh, a traveling swordsman, so a ronin, that doesn't, a ronin is a swordsman that doesn't have uh, a master, because if you have a master, you'd be like a samurai, you're a samurai to whatever... Uh, king or whatever you want to call it so this ronin comes to town and he's trying to like increase his skill and like get good and he puts a sign down on the ground saying that he's, he'll duel anybody and little miyamoto which had, he had a different ni- name at the time came up and he wrote his name on the sign I and mean, he's 13 years old like you know put your name here i'll battle you right and the guy's like ha ha duel me sign up sheet yeah the duel me sign up sheet exactly <laughs> and the guy's like ha ha you he's like you're 13 what am i gonna do and some guy went to his uncle and told his uncle, he's like, hey man, Miyamoto just put his name on that sign-up sheet to battle this guy. And Miyamoto's like, no, 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 what are, you, what are you talking about? And he ran down to the, he runs down to the guy and he's like, please don't, please don't battle my kid. Like, please don't do this. And he's like, the only way you can get over this is if you come down here on the time that he, he put a, his taint, name and time on here to battle. And you got to come down here and you got to get on your knees and beg me for uh, forgiveness and that's the only way and you have to do it at that time that's the only way I won't, I won't fight him and so that time rolls around and his uncle runs down and he, his uncle runs down and starts doing this begging thing and Miyamoto shows up with a six foot quarter staff which is basically just a you know a, like a dowel yeah big and but it's like a six foot dowel comes up with that and bum rushes the guy 
beats him over the head with it, and the guy falls down on the ground, and he smacks him between the eyes, and he beats him to death with it and kills him. (laughs) And everyone was really cool with it because it was technically a duel, and that's how things are. And also, nobody really liked this swordsman that came to town because he was really boisterous and obnoxious, and everyone's like... And he wasn't that good. He got beat up by a fucking 13-year-old kid. 13-year-old beat him to death with a stick. (laughs) So that was his first duel. Um, So then... uh, he uh, he ended up going to battle. Like he was, he always just wanted to be the greatest, like the greatest, like warlord or whatever. But he he entered in a, in a lot of battles and a lot of big, um, you know, military skirmishes. But he always ended up being like on the wrong side. Like regardless of how well he did within those battles, his side was like always losing, and he was just always just kind of like in the wrong place at the wrong time. But when it come came to similar to Steve Young, by the way, right. That's interesting. But when it came time for him to actually like show up and, and fuck shit up, he fucking did every single time. Every day of the week. And he was so good. Like, um, he... I want to... Because uh, there was an order of... Let me just bring this up. Miyamoto. What time were we at? We got... Oh, yeah, I got this. Yeah, like, there was this one school. He showed up to the school to battle... Uh, and he challenged the head of the school, and the head of the school was like, "All right, I'll um, we'll fight." And he instantly, with one strike, just like knocks him out and makes it so he can't even use his sword arm. And one, and so the guy's done. But he's never gonna even be able to fight or train ever again. Immediately, his brother, who is like the only reason he wasn't head of the school, is just because it's like a ranking thing. He's just as good as the first guy. Goes rematch right now with me I'm the new head of the school and Miyamoto's like alright bam kills him right <laughs> and then now the entire school is is in the care of, uh, has now been instantly in that moment transitioned to a 12 year old kid and the whole school goes and when he so when he when, it sounds like a really poor charter well <laughs> when two guys are out and it's a 12 year old shit well, they were so good they never this thought this donkey is now the president someone should have really finished off those dogs well, so let me I, let me back up just a little bit for the story. When he the the first duel was set up, they set it up. They're like, show up here at nine o'clock and we're gonna fight. Nine o'clock, they're waiting there. Ten o'clock rolls around, they're still waiting there. Eleven o'clock rolls around. Miyamoto shows up and he's like, oh, there's a duel today. What? And then he boom killed him. Well, what he really was doing is he was waiting for them to show up and waited just for the moment where they're like, he's not coming and just about to leave, and then he would come out. And he did that the second time too. And they're like, this mother. And they're just getting so mad and riled up that he's like late and they just want to kill him and he's just waiting, watching him. And then they start walking away, he comes up, bam, kills him. So now with the this kid, it's just one kid, and he's like twelve, and the whole school is like, come back and and fight the kid. But he knows, he's like, I'm not fighting this kid. What's gonna happen is I'm gonna show up to fight this kid and the whole school's gonna jump me and try to kill me. So he showed up mega early and hid. And as soon as they showed up, he fucking jumped out, ambushed, killed a bunch of them killed the kid and then as the whole school was trying to fight him he just fucking fended him off and dipped out <laughs> sounds like a dick Dude, he, he 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 is in in a way but it's like um unless you're like really rooting for the 12 year old kid to get killed in which case then he's a hero in he's that a hero regard. and um yeah murks this little kid and then murks a bunch of people and then dips out and um shortly after he ends up like he he was always like starting different schools but they that's believed that that's when he uh kind of created his style which was the two sword style which 
everyone who used a sword in Japan, you had to, you have your, your katana and your wakazashi, which is like a shorter katana. It's the same thing, but just a little shorter. That's what you have your other hand on. So now, so he was the one, everyone, you would use that, the wakazashi or whatever was more for like ceremonial or like doing little things. Or if you would commit seppuku, you would use that, but they weren't all battling with it. And he in during that battle was he whipped that out and then he had one in each hand because it, the sword was like just big enough the katana was just big enough to where everyone used two hands but he just got so good and proficient at using it one-handed like just got really strong wielding it was able just to whip ass with and then he had one in each hand and so that's how he was able to like fend off people coming at him and he explains how he did it and how his whole style was in the book of five rings it's fucking great well that's usually right? what happens is a technological advancement like that is mm-hmm. what makes someone so much better. They're ahead of the game. He was just so much better. And it wasn't only that, it was just his, because he was so religious. He wasn't, he actually renounced religion. He wasn't, he hated Shinto. He didn't hate Shintoism. He actually wrote, respect the gods, but don't count on them for anything. Uh, he wasn't into religion at all. He was just, he was a Buddhist. He was a Zen Buddhist. And he wrote about how uh, you should, not a samurai, a good samurai is not just a good samurai. They're a good artist and carpenter like you have to have multiple things going on like there's paintings that he did he, he was a he was a, a, a successful painter and some of his paintings are really good for the time he was a poet uh, calligraphy he did all these things and um and he was the best swordsman that like japan had ever seen and my favorite this is the last one in the favorite battle there was this guy that they called the demon of the west and it was this guy who used a a sword it was like a nakobi or something it was like it was basically a katana but it was just longer it was like i think they're like two feet but his was like three feet so he had like an extra foot on his sword and everybody knew him for just being ruthless and like killing people and uh his he was even though he had this big long sword he was really quick with it like he moved it was known for just moving it like super fast it's like how the fuck are you doing this shit right I mean, he lived on this island and the way the fight was set up, it was kind of set up as like a political thing. Like uh, this uh, f- king or whatever sent Musashi over there at, almost as like a political thing. It was like, you should go battle that guy. Like, go fuck him up. And so Musashi... Then we'll take over the island or whatever. Oh, I, yeah, yeah. It, it, whatever it was, was kind of like a political kind of move. But he sent him over there to do it. And of course, Musashi does his typical shit. He showed up wicked late. And when he showed up, he was, like, disheveled. Didn't even look like he gave a shat. Like, most people show up in, like, some kind of ceremonial guard. He was, like, all disheveled. He showed up on the beach. He killed this dude, jumped back in his boat, and left in, like, ten minutes. And that's just, like, the overall thing. Now, the story is, what he, how did he, what did he do strategically to beat this guy? It was, it's real. there's so many different stories of how it went. But technically, like, really what it was, they said he was waited for the tide to come uh, to be going in to carry his boat there so he didn't have to row. And he used his sword to take the oar and make a, a boken or whatever, which is like just a wooden sword. And he made it longer than what his sword would be because it was made out of, it was made from the oar on the boat. So he didn't have to row the boat. He sat there and he just fucking did that. And then he jumped off the boat. Now he's, his weapon is this big stick that's just slightly longer than his fucking sword jumps out beats him to death with it typical musashi style and now the tide's going back out before anyone else can jump him or attack him jumps back in the boat and floats back to the other side of the island there's also some people that think that he also waited for a specific time of day so like 
where he was going to fight. The sun was probably in the guy's eyes, but I think that I don't I don't know about that. I mean, the whole thing is already just so much it thought to be like I'm going to wait for the tide to carry me over there. I'm going to make a sword bigger than his. I'm going to beat him to death, and then I'm going <laughs> to like, get out of there before get out of there. Henchmen come get me. Come up. fuck me up. Which is just dude. The guy is just. He he and and like I said, he was always almost like the retainer to like these big heirs of like thrones and stuff, and he was almost always there, but just kind of missed the boat in a way. And but uh, he ended up towards his older years becoming quite sick, and he turned into a hermit up on some mountain, and that's when he sat down. He wrote a number of different books about his life and about like how to be self sufficient and how to be driven, and wrote a book on his like fighting style and all this stuff, and then. Uh, he gave it to his number one, like his first person in line or whatever, gave all this stuff to him. He's like, here's all these books. I'm going to die in like a week. And then he ended up dying exactly seven days later. And uh, he died like kneeling down. Like he had like one kneel up and he had his sword in the ground, like holding the one sword with his knee up. And died in like that squatting kind of position. And uh, that was it, man. Great fucking dude. And if you ever come across... The Book of Five Rings, it's been translated so many different times. You want to read the one by William Scott Wilson. William Scott Wilson does the translation does translations of a number of different Japanese texts. Anybody can just read Japanese texts and do it verbatim. But there's a lot of nuance when there's a message trying to be purveyed. Because characters can be read a number of different ways, written in Japanese. William Scott Wilson likes... Uh, or is so involved with the Japanese culture that he he gets the essence of it more and gives it more life true to what it's actually saying rather than just like that word's this word that word's this word and so his translations are always much much better he he's written a number of translations that were all fucking really great and that one was really great but some of his some of Miyamoto's like little things I don't know if you've read the Art of War it's like little stanzas of poems. Like if you ever see the Art of War, you'll see a translation. It'll be like that thick, like a really thick book. But if you ever see one that's like that thin, that's like the true version because it was written in like stanzas of a poem, and they're supposed to be left for you to sit back and contemplate, not write this whole thing. Tell me what it means. It's when like know the terrain and then know your all this stuff. You're supposed to like read that and then think about it, and like that's the way it's supposed to be written. It's the same thing with his. But one of the things was like he would write something that would be called like pressing down the pillow. And then he would explain what pressing down the pillow is. And he's like, in, in imagine you're trying to kill somebody with a pillow and you put the pillow over their face to suffocate them. And you have to continue to keep the same force or more force, never less force, consistent force being pressed on their face. If you let up at all, they're going to breathe and you're not going to kill them. It's the same thing in battle. You got to press down the pillow means put that pressure on and never let up. Only more pressure or the same pressure you have, never less. Don't ever let them breathe. Just press down the pillow. There's like a bunch of little things like that. This is the Art of War you're talking about? No, this is the Book of Five Rings. Oh, the Book of Five Rings. Okay. That's Miyamoto Musashi. Okay. He had another one that was called, like, there's a, there's a bunch of them that way. I read them like, fuck yeah, it just like sticks out in your mind. It's good for like any aspect of like, not just like combat, but like things that you're doing, like even in, like in a game or like anything, it's just... There's one called like uh, there's one he he called it ferrying across. And he's like if you let's say you're going to you're going somewhere and you have to ride a ferry, the time that you're on the ferry is almost like absent in your mind, because when you know you're getting on the ferry, 
your mind's already on the other side of the where you're going. Your mind's already there. You know you're going to get on the ferry. You know the ferry's going to take you there. And you're going to get off and you'll be there. It's the same thing in battle. The wind is you ferrying. The wind is where you're going to be. Just ferry across to the wind. Like you just, it's just like riding the ferry. Just, you know, you're already going to be there. Visualize it. You're already going to be there. Ferry across. Just get to the other side. Just get to that wind. You know, you're already going to be there. It's just like your, your, your commute to work. And dude, great fucking dude. Great dude. When I read that, it was just, um, the whole book was just fucking great. Book of Five Rings. But also now I'm reading just the novel Musashi. I have a question. If he's so smart, how come he's fucking dead? <laughs> Always my question with the old Always Japanese Always my question with the old Japanese samurais. I have the same question. <laughs> I got the same question for this debate. So, yeah, man. I, uh, if anyone ever wants to read that, or even the, the Musashi book, it's actually a really entertaining novel. Let's pick, real quick, let's pick a Netflix book club so we have Next time, Millennial Book Millennial Club, Book Club aka Bro. watching shit on Netflix. Watching shit on Netflix. So next week, fo- folks, people, listeners, we are going to watch this week the Do Over, which is a Netflix original. Adam Sandler and David Spade. We're gonna watch that, and then next week, next week we'll come back and we'll talk about it. We hope. What do you get for a match result on that, by the way? Do you know? Let's take. Let's check it's a it out. Sixty-six percent match for me, which I thought seventy. Was seventy. I knew it. I think it's got a camera and it's looking at my face. <laughs> Knows that I look like I'm. Gonna, hey, you should. You like this? So uh, yeah, we're gonna watch the do-over, and come back. We'll, we'll talk about it next week. Hope you had fun. This was a very fun show for us. We hope you had fun, and then uh, next week will be another fun show. Yes, watch along with us, the do-over, and uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks Shout for crack- out to her- oh, thanks for cracking a road soda. <laughs> Shout out to everyone who listens. If uh, hey, just to see who's listening out there, we can't really tell who's listening. Why don't you shoot us an email at road soda email? Just say hey, I'm listening from blank. We'd love to know where people are listening. We see somebody on there listening from Turkey, listening from England. Got a lot of people in the United States from. Boiling Springs, North Carolina. Oklahoma, too. Oklahoma. How you doing out there, Oklahoma? Just tell us where you're listening from. Reach out to us at roadsodamail at gmail.com. Let us know where you're listening from. All right, guys. Have a good week. Bye.